A Song of Ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. A Gallup poll released in, uh, on November 21st revealed that 77% of Americans think that our country is more divided than ever on the most important issues that we face. That's a new high, up from 69% in 2012. Now, part of this jump is due to the fact that we've just come out of a contentious and often ugly political season. But that's not all there is to it. On top of the feeling of being more divided than ever, many of us are feeling more lonely than ever. Isn't it ironic that with all the tools we have, at, literally at our fingertips, um, to be connected with others, feelings of isolation and loneliness are on the rise. A recent study by the Mental Health Foundation in the UK found that 48% of people feel that they're getting lonelier in general, that everyone is getting lonelier in general. It's very common for people to be incredibly connected on social media, but to actually have the opposite feeling of of really being connected. It's been shown that the more time we spend on social media, the more prone we are to compare ourselves to the highlight reels of everyone else's lives and feel more envious, depressed, and alone. So what does God have to say about our nagging senses of loneliness and division? Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with the ways that we do try to create community. There's family, there's sports, there's activities out in the community that we can all take part in that are very good. But there's only one way that God has promised to bless and to pour out his blessings uh, as we seek to find unity with other people. Psalm 133 tells us that we need to go to the church. We need to go to community and fellowship with fellow believers if we want to enjoy the good life. The life of genuine connection and union with others. The life that has the only lasting solution to our our senses of division and loneliness. So here's the main idea of Psalm 133. We're going to be going through this uh, passage quickly this morning as part of our abbreviated service. I know we've got the kids here with us this morning. So... um, We're going to go through this quickly. We're going to explore the idea um, that uh, God says the blessed life is found by those who seek it in unity with his people. We're going to explore the idea further in two main points. First, the basics of unity. What does the psalm tell us about the foundations of the unity unity that it describes? Second, the blessings of unity. We're going to answer the question, what are the benefits of the unity that God promises to us? And how do they make a difference in our lives? In just these three short verses, we're given all the motivation we need to seek out community with God's people and, and the connection that we can find from that community. So let's jump right in and take a look at what the psalm tells us about the basics of unity. What are some of the fundamental building blocks that make up the picture of God's people dwelling together? The first basic of unity is close relationship. And by close relationship, I mean nearness, physical nearness, closeness and proximity, regularly rubbing elbows with one another. 
David wrote Psalm 133 as part of a larger group of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. They're used as community songs for people, the people of Israel as they made their way to Jerusalem for worship. They did this regular, three times a year as part of the um, religious festivals that they celebrated. The Israelites from all over the Promised Land would gather together to worship in the Holy City. And the Psalms of Ascent were sort of like the playlist that they used, um, the soundtrack for the road trip on the way to Jerusalem that would help them pass the time on their travels. So David wrote Psalm 133 as a song that would sort of fulfill its own lyrics. Thousands of people from all over the land would come together into the close quarters of the city of Jerusalem. By, as they sang this song about unity and dwelling close to the, closely together, they were actually physically getting closer and closer to that reality of time spent together in Jerusalem. Goat herders from the north would rub shoulders with shepherds from the south. Shepherds from the east would run into merchants from the west. Mothers and fathers were trying to keep track of their three-year-olds as the two older kids were trying to beat each other through the main gate. It would have been noisy, claustrophobic, uncomfortable, chaotic, you name it. Yet amidst all the hustle and bustle, David reflects on what he sees and he calls it good and pleasant. In other places in scripture, the phrase, when brothers dwell together, um, is used to describe a situation in which family members, uh, particularly Abraham and Lot, uh, this phrase is used. Family members who dwell together in a tight space, a tight proximity, where two, as two families are growing, um, the resources start to seem a little bit cramped. The land is not necessarily the best fit for living, those two large families living in proximity to one another. So the mental image that's in play here is people finding themselves close together with regular contact with one another. And to the outsider, it might seem like such closeness would be sort of confining or inconvenient or a recipe for, for frustration and conflict. But for God's people, closeness is a good thing and a pleasant thing. So close relationship is one of the basics of unity. And the image of all those people coming to Jerusalem from all parts of Israel should remain in our mind as we get uh, further along in the psalm. Because it also leads us to our next point, uh, basic of uh, unity, and that's diversity. The people who were going to Jerusalem at the time of the festivals were from different regions and from different tribes. All these different kinds of people were still Israelites, but they also had different backgrounds. They were all God's covenant people, but we also tend to forget how much diversity there would have been, even amongst the people who shared the same Israelite ethnicity. When brothers were dwelling together in unity, it meant that people were able to come to Jerusalem with all the things that made them unique. They were able to pursue the good and the pleasant existence with, another, with one, other, one another without having to sacrifice the things that made them special. In David's day, this would have been even more poignant, especially considering the events that led up to him uh, taking the throne. His, uh, his rise to the throne was the result of a pretty bloody and uh, contentious conflict between the previous king, Saul. Saul repeatedly had tried to kill David before, David before he ultimately secured the throne. So even people who had been through civil unrest and uh, inter in internal feuds could come together in unity in the holy city at the, at the time of the festivals. And so it might be easy to assume that there wasn't a lot of diversity amongst the Jewish people at the time. But 
if we may incorrectly make that assumption, we miss a beautiful part of what unity is all about. Unity doesn't have to mean sameness. In order to be united, there doesn't have to be complete agreement about everything. Not everyone has to share the same life stories, outlook on life, or the same tastes. There's diversity in unity. In fact, if we make unity about sameness, it's not really unity anymore. It's conformity. It's sacrificing our God-given uniqueness to fit in the crowd. So, Psalm 133 shows us that unity is possible when diverse groups of people come into regular contact with one another. And that closeness doesn't erase differences. Instead, it pursues peace despite the differences for the sake of something bigger. And that something bigger is the third of our basics of unity. Purpose. The reason that people are able to find beauty in the hectic crowdedness that was going on in the festivals as part of celebrating the, the uh, religious life of the people was that they were doing something part of, uh, that was co- part of the covenantal relationship that they had with God. The reason that people were able to come together and see past their differences and eccentricities was that because they, were, they all held something bigger in common. Worshiping the God who had called them to himself, promised to provide for them, and be faithful to them. So their common purpose was to fulfill God's calling in their lives, to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as themselves. Their worship is what brought them together. It was worship that involved the whole of their lives. It was worship that compelled them to interrupt their daily routines and pack up and join the rest of the dirty, smelly, noisy crowds and head to Jerusalem. And what was the result? Something that was good and pleasant. Dwelling together in unity built the basics of relationship, diversity, and common purpose. And so now that we have a better understanding of what makes up unity, this unity that David praises, we'll spend the rest of our time this morning looking at the passage and finding out about the blessings of that unity. Now, it's good to know about the building blocks of unity, but when we understand that the, the good that flows from that unity when we get an understanding of the blessings that come from that, that's when we should get excited about, being able, about the opportunity to pursue unity and community with one another and take the time to make the effort in our own lives. So the first description that we get about the blessings of unity comes in verse 2. The blessings of unity are abundant. They're overflowing. They're lavished on God's people as they seek life together and serve his purposes. Now, how am I getting that from all the from that word picture that just it looks it seems like a couple of verses about a bunch, a bunch of oil dripping from a guy's head and down his beard and onto his clothes? Again, you'll have to work with me and try and think like an Old Testament believer right now. If you're an Israelite singing this song on the way to Jerusalem, you're thinking about the anointing oil that was used to set priests apart for God's service. The original instructions for the anointing oil were found in Exodus chapter 29, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 30. This oil was composed of the most expensive spices that could be found in the land at the time, and it could only be made by one specific person. It was so sacred and valuable that if you even tried to make a knockoff of it, you would be cut off from the rest of your, of your people. 
So the anointing ritual came from the, that was that called for this oil um, was to be used on just the head of the priest. But the, verse two shows us that um, the very first high priest. This is a picture of his uh, his anointing, and it's an example that describes there being so much oil poured on his head that it runs down beyond the normal situ- place where it's supposed to go, and it pours down in such a way that it's running down his face, onto his beard, and onto his clothes. Now, if this had, been, this had really happened in uh, the life of Israel, um, in the anointing of a priest, it would have been considered an anointing fail. A complete waste of costly anointing oil. The thought of someone pouring out enough oil to make it drip all over the priestly robes would have been absurd. But that's the point. In God's economy of blessing, no expense is spared. The blessings of unity are absurd, but in the best possible way. They overflow in ways that would seem excessive or overly abundant to, according to our, own, our expectations. But that is what's supposed to make unity with God's people so appealing. Think back to the closeness that's required for unity. Does the thought of getting into deep relationships with God's people make you feel a little bit uncomfortable? It's normal. Do you feel like it will cramp your lifestyle to regularly rub shoulders with people and get involved in the messiness of their lives? God is saying that the blessings of committed fellowship are abundant and rich enough to fulfill us, even in those moments when we feel like life together seems more than we can, we're really equipped to handle. The second thing about the blessings of unity is found in verse 3. This unity is life-giving. Any form of precipitation was crucial for the people in Israel. Most of them lived off the land in a day-to-day existence. All of the effort of a day's work was put into just producing enough food to feed you for the next day. Whether or not crops got enough water was a matter of survival for most people. So when dew falls, it's a very, very good thing. It means crops will grow. It means people will thrive. It means life will go on. A fruitful land was the source of life for God's people. But here's the thing. Mount Hermon and Mount Zion are nowhere near each other. Mount Hermon is about as far north as you can get in, the, in Israel but without getting into Syria or Lebanon. Mount Zion is about 120 miles south of Mount Hermon. So it would be a miracle for the dew of Mount Hermon to fall on Mount Zion. So what's going on here? The point is that it is a miracle. The life-giving blessing is supposed to be seen as a miracle. It's supposed to be seen as something that could never happen if it weren't for the miraculous work of God in the lives of his people. Think about the diversity that we talked about as one of the basics of unity. We all have different backgrounds. We have different professional lives, different interests. We have differing ideas about how to get things done. We have different parenting styles. We have different tastes in music and movies. We have different ideas about education. We may even have different political ideas. And that's okay. Amidst all the diversity, God still brings people together. He brings life. He brings vibrant relationships where we're made more like Jesus because of the, we bring, we're being influenced by people who are different from us, but are still pointing us in the direction of Christ-likeness. If you haven't really connected with anyone like you at church, then I might suggest that you're actually on the right track. As Tim Keller puts it, 
giving, uh, the life-giving miracle of unity is, uh, is that spiritual bond that brings together people from far di- divergent in, uh, divergence in culture, in race, and in class, and bringing them together in the Lord. The third and final thing that we find from uh, Psalm 133 about the blessings of unity is that they're intended for others. The final lines of verse 3 remind us that Mount Zion the place is the place where God has commanded his blessing. In the time of this psalm, people were, were making pilgrimages to Jerusalem to worship and to take part in the ritual cleansing and atonement sacrifices that were performed at the temple. The nation of Israel was called to be a blessing to the rest of the world at this point in history. And Jerusalem was the center of God's work of redemption and calling people to himself. It was there that people came uh, to seek cleansing and forgiveness of sin by the means that he had put into place. When Israel came together in unity to celebrate the festivals, they were serving their true purpose. Their unity was to be attractive to the wider world. The rest of the world was supposed to see Israel's unity around their worship and come to Mount Zion to take part. The same is still true to us, but in a little bit different way. God still intends for unity in his people, and he intends for it to be a blessing, um, and intends for it to be attractive to the outside world. Do you remember that prayer that Jesus prayed specifically for our unity? It's called the high priestly prayer. It's found in John chapter 17. uh, At the end of that prayer, he prays specifically that people would someday, for uh, the people who would uh, eventually place their faith and trust in him. And one of the last things that Jesus prays for in that prayer is that those who would believe in him would all be one. Our unity is important to Jesus because it's part of how the world will believe the message of the gospel. He prays in verse 23 for his followers that they would become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. When we're able to put unity on display, we become a blessing to others. Our community can be a part of what God uses to draw people who do not yet know him. So let me offer a few concluding thoughts as we wrap up this morning. God speaks into our feelings of loneliness and division. He tells us that genuine friendship, connection, and belonging can be found in relationship with his people. It's so easy, especially for Christians, to take the church for granted and to look for community in other places. The church is often a place where we feel like we can't be ourselves. We feel like if we take the time to let people into our lives, it'll be uncomfortable or an inconvenience. We feel like if we, uh, if we do that, we're, we'll run into the possibility of the fear of not, um, of, uh, excuse me, of, that we're going to have to be someone that we're not. That we're going to have to pretend to be someone that we're not if we get too close to someone else. But the unity that is good and pleasant is about closeness that can handle diversity. When the purpose of our community is about glorifying God and helping each other draw near to him, we can be free to be honest about who we really are. So I would encourage you to take advantage of the opportunities to spend more time with one another. Make a commitment to enjoy the blessings that God has promised to pour out on his people when we dwell together in unity. Jesus prayed that we would be one. And that's a prayer that's going to be answered. When Jesus makes a prayer request, it's pretty much a done deal. 
Make the effort to share your life with a brother or sister in Christ. It can be challenging, inconvenient, it can be scary, but Jesus prayed for unity to happen. So you can't mess it up. The only mistake you can make is to miss out on the blessings by not making the effort. Jesus will use his people as an as a integral part of his mission of redemption. He's promised to do that. and That's the result of the prayer that he prayed for us. And we may be broken and messy, but when we're all one in our reliance on him, in our reliance on the gospel, we're well on our way to living that fulfilled life lived in unity with God's people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, the unity that um, you provide through uh, connection and community with your people. We pray that we would be people who pursue peace and unity with one another. We pray that we would look for ways to make uh, deeper connections and relationships with um, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you that you have given um, us each other, given us the family of God to um, to further one our relationship with you, to um, encourage one another, to spur one another on to um, uh, holiness and uh, righteousness, and also to to bear one another's burdens. We pray that you would make um, Christ Church a place where unity is the uh, defining characteristic, so that we could be a people who um, are appealing and uh, different and make a difference in the world um, that people can are see, uh, see as noticeable and desirable and want to be a part of. Um, we thank you for your promise to be with us and to provide for us. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.